Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Friday, May the 3rd. I'm your host, D.A., and last night, the Philadelphia 76ers put a hurting on the Toronto Raptors. At home in Philadelphia, the crowd was crazy, and the Sixers get a dominant win. Joel Embiid proves why he's the best big man right now on the planet when he's healthy. Because down low, old school, in the post, he can own things. More than 30 points and more than 10 rebounds last night. So, when Embiid becomes that fan favorite on nights like last night, does he conjure up images of another previous fan favorite? Let's begin with Angelo Cataldi in the morning show on WIP in Philadelphia, who spoke to Temple head coach and former Sixer Aaron McKee on a certain answer. I would love for you to compare for us um, what it was like playing with uh, Allen and, and the way he bonded with the fans and what you're seeing right now with Joel Embiid. Is it similar to you, Aaron? It's, it's similar in a sense because both of those guys have star power and they embrace the fan base. Now, during Allen's time, he was a little bit different because the NBA really didn't see a guy that dynamic, that small, and that can be so, di- so dominant in the game of basketball. And now you got Joel Embiid. It's it's similar. You haven't seen a big man this dominant or play the way Joel plays, where he can play inside and be dominant. He can step outside. He can shoot the three. He can put it on the floor. He can go and make a play. So in a sense, both of those guys in their eras were were a little bit different, a little bit unique, and that the fans embrace. Very good. I'm I'm curious. Being on the on the court with that kind of atmosphere. How much does it help a player, Aaron? Oh, it's energy. It provides you energy. It provides you confidence. It, it, it forces you to play hard. And when I sit out there and watch, watch those guys play, when I watch them on TV, it looks like they're having fun. And when you're playing sports, that's what you want to do. You want to have fun when you're out there playing because you think back to when you was a kid and you was out there playing. You play sports to go make friends and, and be competitive, and that's what I see out there, and that's why you know they're winning the way that they're winning and they look like they're having fun doing it. What's it like on the other end when you're in a, a, in a building and you're the enemy and all those fans are doing what they're doing? Does it make it harder? You, you embrace that even more because oh, when you wow. go out on the road, yeah. You, when you go out on the road, you want to keep those fans quiet. And that's the biggest thing with, with players. When you go out on the road, it's us against them. And when you get in there, you think about the noise and activity that you have going on down at the Wells Fargo and how loud it can get in there. And when you go on the road, you want, you want it to be a dead silence in that building. That way you know you're doing your job. You're doing what you're supposed right. to do out on the road. That's awesome. Uh, tell me, uh, could you analyze for us Joel Embiid's game? What makes him so effective? 
his size, his agility, his skill set. His skill set more than anything else. I mean, he's an agile big guy. He's big. I don't know what he what he weighs, but he carries that weight pretty good. He can move, and he got a soft touch. He can shoot it from inside. He can shoot it from the mid-range. He can shoot the three. He can play in traffic. He's a really good free-throw shooter. He's just a really, really confident offensive player. And then on top of that, he's a dominant defensive player where you have a great rim protector. You can put him in screen and roll, and he can switch on some of those screen and rolls, and you feel completely comfortable with him out there guarding those, those smaller guys. All right, the other superstar in this series is Kawhi Leonard. Tell me what you see when you're watching him, Aaron. He, he does a little bit of everything. I, like, I love his demeanor. I mean, he gets a lot of flack for, you know, not being as, you know, verbal or not being as animated as a star player that people think should be. He just wants to go out and play the game of basketball. Um, his size, his ability to make a shot, you know, he's like, a, he's like a mini version of Joel. He could play inside. He could post up the guards. He could do it off the bounce. They're putting him in a lot of screen and rolls, and he's making it happen. And he's knocking down the three at a high rate. I, I love the way he plays. And he's a lockdown defender. Right. Aaron, I got some great news for you. They're both back in high school, and they both want to go to Temple. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, man. But, but you only yeah. got room. You only got room for one, one scholarship left. You got one left, Aaron. <laughs> you can either have Embiid or Leonard. Who you picking? Wow, that's tough. <laughs> but you know, I'm going with I'm going with Big Fella. Man, Philly loved Allen Iverson, and yeah, there's a lot of love right now surrounding Joel Embiid. Now, Iverson got that team to an NBA Finals. Right now, we're just still talking about two wins in the second round. But if the Sixers got to the NBA Finals, that same type of love you would imagine surrounds Joel Embiid because he's so likable, he's so charismatic, he's so gregarious, especially for a big man. Big men are usually so stoic. You could just see how a guy like Embiid could have the city of Philadelphia in the palm of his hand. This week, we've talked about the Miami Dolphins trade last week for quarterback Josh Rosen. Now, for the Dolphins, this marks a pretty big sea change. They said goodbye to Ryan Tannehill. They did not draft a quarterback, but they know that they've got to solve this. So they've traded for Josh Rosen with a late second-round pick and then a fifth-round pick next year to the Arizona Cardinals. Can Rosen be the guy? Once upon a time... Dallas Cowboys had no answer at quarterback either, much like what the Dolphins have dealt with. And Jimmy Johnson took over as head coach, and he promptly drafted Troy Aikman to be his guy. Any comparisons? Here's Jimmy Johnson, who was a former Dolphins head coach, looking back with the Joe Rose Show on WQAM in Miami. We wanted to ask you about the Josh Rosen thing. You've heard everybody's opinions on it locally and nationally and the, and the deal Chris Greer pulled off. What would you think of it? What kind of player? You're out on the West Coast a lot. Yeah, I, I think it was a great move. Uh, I think, you know, with his contract, the way it is right now, it, it, it's inexpensive. He was a very talented quarterback coming out of college. You know, a lot of people had him rated up there with – you know, with Darnold and, you know, really the the better players. His mechanics were great. You know, people loved him. Uh, really smart guy, and at times, you know, people said maybe he was too smart. But uh, I think 
the experience in Arizona probably humbled him a little bit, probably making him work a little bit harder. Uh, for the price they got him for, you know, maybe he's going to be a number one quarterback, but if he's not a number one quarterback, you've got a very talented, inexpensive backup quarterback. Where, where do you, how do you judge him the first year, Jimmy? You had now you had Troy Aikman back when not, you hadn't built anything around him yet, and yet you could see okay, this is a talented guy. How how did you judge Troy? How how should we look at Josh Rosen the first year? Well, you know they both can make the throws. Uh, they both have a good arm. They're both smart. You know and and you know uh, you know just like you know Troy after the the second year you know. I went and I said, you know, Troy, you should have made the Pro Bowl. I apologize. He said, Coach, he said, don't worry about me. He said, just keep bringing in the talent that you're bringing in, and uh, I'll go to plenty of Pro Bowls. And that's the thing with Josh Rosen. You know, know, a quarterback can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't surround him with talent, he's not going to win. And, you know, you know, they really had a horrible offensive line. You know, it was an, you know, they had a couple of different offensive coordinators. You know, and so he really didn't have a chance at Arizona. And you really didn't have an opportunity to see how good he was. And, and I, I'm not saying he's going to be a franchise quarterback. You know, he may or may not be. But surround him with talent, and you'll find out. Yeah, then he's got a chance. Hey, hey, Coach, I want to ask you, every time I watch the draft now and I see guys moving up and moving back, and we're all <laughs> sitting here going, hey, what do you think it's going to cost? Is that a second or third or fourth? Oh, yeah. You always so, come up, Coach, because br- you started this damn up- thing. Yeah. Yeah, bring out Jimmy's chart. See what you've got to do. <laughs> Has that changed over the years? Uh, you know what? You know, of course, it's changed so much because of the salary cap on and on. But, you know, back in the day, uh, and people don't realize, you know, there was no fantasy football. And people didn't trade. Very few teams ever traded. Everybody, you know, the old saying, well, you know, we're going to take the best player available wherever my pick is. You know, and, you know, I got in the thing. I didn't know any different. I said, well, my pick's there, but I don't like the players there. I want to move. And so I started moving here, there, and everywhere. And <laughs> and uh, we made 51 trades in five years. That was more than the entire league put together. Uh, for instance, the New York Giants, there were certain teams wouldn't trade at all. You know, they would never move up, down, and wouldn't trade a pick. The New York Giants in that five-year period made one trade, and that was with me. <laughs> but, but nowadays boy nowadays everybody's got that philosophy well if i don't like the players that's yeah. there at that pick i'm gonna move or i'm gonna move up and get a guy i really like or i'm gonna move down and get somebody i like and get some extra picks everybody's doing it now it's hard not to like this rosen deal what do you give up a late second round draft pick for the potential Answer at QB, who just a year ago was a top 10 pick in the draft, makes a ton of sense. You get great value there for a late second-round pick. Let's slow the roll on Troy Aikman comparisons because, I mean, Aikman won three Super Bowls and is in the Hall of Fame. And if Josh Rosen wins a division, that would be a pretty significant upgrade over Ryan Tannehill. But no doubt that it's impossible to really punch holes in going after Rosen and seeing if this is your answer. The Dallas Cowboys, formerly Jimmy Johnson's stomping grounds and the team that he built into a early to mid-90s dynasty have not been back to the Super Bowl since. But they will be getting back a familiar face as Jason Witten returns to the football field after a year away 
as one of the voices of Monday Night Football. What to make of the Dallas Cowboys? Here's Mike Tirico, longtime NFL voice and personality on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas with Sean and RJ. Your take on the Cowboys offseason and where they stand heading into this year. Yeah, you know, the Philadelphia thing is interesting because Philadelphia, obviously, coming off the Super Bowl from a couple years ago, we thought, okay, well, the Eagles are going to be the team here in the NFC East at the moment, and they ran into their issues uh, for different parts of last year, again, the quarterback injury stuff and going back and forth with all that. So I feel like they have a sense that their window is a little tighter tighter right now. Uh, The Giants in Washington are kind of more in rebuild mode. So I really think this is a two-team division where you look at the – at the moves here, the one thing that we'll need to see from Dallas is can you be healthy enough and talented enough on that defensive front and have those available players to change the game? Because I think they've got, I think they've got everything else. I, I, I really do. Uh, I know there was a lot of criticism that my good friend John Gruden uh, traded Amari Cooper there, and the Cowboys loved being able to put that video out when their first-round pick came, and they should. <laughs> I, I think they've got a cornerstone-type receiver that they needed. And I'm I'm a sucker for Witten. I, th- I think Witten's the man, and I think Witt coming back is a big deal. I think it's a big deal on third and five because I really do believe Jason Witten's one of those guys when he's 50 who can get a first down on third and five. You know, you just get out there, shake those shoulders, turn that big two around to the left, and no DB or linebacker can get around him, and he's got a first down. And those keep drives going. So Zeke, Witten, Cooper – pass rush up front, I think all the elements are there to be the best team in this division. And I think, you know, once you do that, then you got a chance because nobody's, a, nobody's the Patriots in the NFC. There are a lot of good teams, but there's no Mount Rushmore that you've got to do everything to climb over. So I think they're going to have a great chance coming into this year. I really do. The great Mike Tirico joining us here on 105.3 The Fan. Check out the Mike Tirico podcast. Would you pay Dak over under $30 million a year? You know, the numbers are changing a little bit. I would say not over $30 million a year, but how you structure it is very important. And I think with the salary cap continuing to quietly go up, we keep resetting the bar on where it is and where it works for people uh, in terms of their, of their uh, salary caps. It all depends how many big stars you have and how many big ticket guys you have. One of the joys of the Rod Marinelli defense over these years is you've been able to not have to overpay a defensive front guy to create pass rush. I know that was a criticism a couple of years ago, but I do think that's a trademark of Marinelli teams here over the years. And why is that all? That all factors into how much room you can invest in your quarterback. I, th- I thought personally Dak grew again last year. I think we forgot, one, where he was drafted, and two, how young he was. Uh, I, I think there's a, a franchise quarterback without question in my mind. And I think when surrounded with the right folks, he's going to be the guy. So if you know you've got one, you're going to keep him and protect him. Because as you see with the Giants, as you see with the teams who are constantly surging, look at Buffalo. I mean, they're on, look at Miami. They're on version 11, 12, 13 for trying to find the guy. When you have the guy, the system forces you to pay him. Now, how creative you are is different. Uh, I think most of the teams are getting smart now. They don't bury themselves under a contract that's going to you know, financially marry them to the same guy forever. So wherever the, their cap numbers fit, Wherever you can pay the bonus, they'll work something out and and get back there for whatever the right price is long-term for both sides. Going into 2019, it should be the Cowboys and the Eagles once again. The Giants are clearly rebooting. Eli Manning cannot be expected to be very effective this year. 
and he'll obviously be looking over his shoulder at a young quarterback in Daniel Jones, selected sixth overall. And for Washington, they too are in a quarterback conundrum. They brought in Dwayne Haskins via draft and number 15 of the first round. But is he going to start right away? When will they hand the reins over to him? So this is a Cowboys and an Eagles division. But with Carson Wentz healthy and just a year and a plus removed from winning a Super Bowl, it's right now, to me, the Eagles division with the Cowboys coming up the rear to try to catch them and surpass them. But right now, the Eagles have all the parts to once again be the team to beat in the NFC East. The NBA postseason's going on, but the NBA offseason has been what everybody's been talking about for months. And that is square on top of the New York Knicks organization. In this offseason, they've got no star power, no depth, nobody to build around, but hope. And their hope is that they'll win the lottery to get Zion Williamson and then be able to sign one or two of the elite free agents out there. Could next year we have Zion, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving playing in Madison Square Garden? Well, let's slow down, but let's hear from Ian Begley, who covers the Knicks for ESPN, who joined WFAN in New York in the CMB, Chris Carlin, Maggie Gray, and Bart Scott show discussing whether Kevin Durant can handle New York City pressure. Off the court, what does that look like? Because these are two guys who I think this is not me talking out of turn, a little sensitive. <laughs> we we've seen that right over the last couple of seasons with Durant and with Kyrie. So that's that's one of the more fascinating dynamics when you talk about both of these guys ending up in New York, particularly with the Knicks, because of the microscope that will be on that team on a night in and night out basis. Will they be able to handle that scrutiny? The one thing I say about Kevin Durant though is. He's really been arguably the most scrutinized player in the league since he decided to go to Golden State in his previous free agency. So I think, you know, from a national perspective, he's accustomed to that attention. He's accustomed to that detailed breakdown of everything that he does. I know that it's louder in New York. I know that it's different in New York. But it's not going to be completely foreign to him because of what he's dealt with over the past few seasons. Kyrie is a little bit different. You know, obviously, you know, in Boston, he's he's admitted that he's made some missteps with the media. Does he learn from that? If he were to come here, does he handle himself differently? I think so. The thing about Durant, though, he's he's been here before, but he he's he hasn't exactly handled it well. I mean, it's not too long ago that we that we found out that he had, you know, the fake Twitter account and he's going back at, at people, you know, that's not going to, that's going to be the same, you know, social media is not going away. If anything, it's only going to get worse. And I wonder if, if he has this, like when he went to golden state and he thought it was going to be one way where everyone was going to embrace him and coronate him as the next great thing. And then that never happened. Does he have a true understanding of what it would be like in New York, especially if they don't win? Well, here's the thing with Kevin. You just you just hit on the point that I wanted to make. If they win, no one cares about what he's tweeting, what he's getting sensitive about, the burner accounts. No one cares about any of that. Winning cleans all of that up. But if they don't reach expectations, it's all going to fall on him and Kyrie, if Kyrie's here with him, but primarily on him. And I don't think he's experienced that before. And based on what 
that's happened in Golden State. I don't think that would go well for him. But I do think, you know, listen, his agent, business manager, business partner, Rich Kleiman, grew up in New York, big Knicks fan. He knows the market. So I'm sure Kevin will have a, a good idea of what he's getting into. But again, failing to meet expectations, we know how big-name athletes in this town just get crushed. And some handle it well. I thought Carmelo Anthony handled it pretty well. Some don't. I don't know how Kevin would handle it. I had a question. If if Zion's gone and Ja Moran is the next one up, um, how does that affect Kyrie as far as coming here? Would the Knicks maybe look to go to a, another star, maybe turn their, their – their, efforts towards maybe Kawhi. Can you, could you see Kawhi coming here? Because I remember he was working out at Lifetime Fitness in my hood, and I know he has family here, but we just automatically think he's going to either stay with Toronto or go out, go out west. That's what everybody expects, and I know that people around Kawhi did see New York as a potential destination back when he was maneuvering his way out of San Antonio. But, you know, it just matters what Kawhi thinks, and, and people think Kawhi, as you said, Bart, or look, he's looking at L.A., or he's going to stay in Toronto, particularly looking at the Clippers. So I don't see him coming to New York as a strong possibility. But when you talk about John Morant or the Knicks getting anything outside of the number one pick, that's where things get interesting because, you know, you, you, you know that Kevin Durant is not coming alone and you know you're going to need a point guard. But in my mind, if you don't get that number one pick, you're working the phones all the way from May 14th to draft night to see what you can get in a trade for that two, three, four, five pick, whatever it may be, because you're going to be in win-now mode if Kevin Durant comes here. You're not going to have the luxury of waiting on an 18-, 19-year-old to figure out how to succeed in the NBA. You're going to need veterans who are ready to win, ready to perform on a playoff stage. So it's just going to be a different set of circumstances for the Knicks than we've seen over the last year. All is fine right now in KD world because – they're en route to win another NBA championship. They've looked, obviously, dominant in the first two games against the Houston Rockets. Kevin Durant has been sensational in the NBA playoffs, but it's a totally different beast if KD has to carry a franchise singularly without any superstar help. I mean, even in Oklahoma City, he had Russell Westbrook alongside him and even James Harden for a little bit as well, and they only got to one NBA Finals. Is he really going to ride with the New York Knicks without any surrounding supporting cast. Now, maybe he's able to get a Kyrie next to him or a Tobias Harris or a Kemba Walker or one of the other guys that are out there as a free agent. But honestly, but is KD really ready to go and pick up the reins of an NBA franchise that's been so forlorn for so long without significant help? I don't see it. And if he does, be careful because the pressure's going to be on and KD has never proven that he can handle that type of scrutiny unless he has tons of talent around him. College basketball is under fire, and now we have pretty clear evidence that Sean Miller was paying for DeAndre Ayton $10,000 a month after the wiretapping tape that was played as part of the FBI investigation. So why is Sean Miller still employed in Tucson? Well, let's listen to the Gary Parrish Show, a 92.9 in Memphis. If you believe Christian Dawkins' version of events, what Sean Miller wanted Christian Dawkins to do is like, okay, listen, you you were willing to pay to create a relationship with DeAndre Ayton to get him to, um, you know, be represented by your company when he leaves Arizona. Cool, take over the payments. I'll turn it over to you. You can handle everything from this point forward, and I'll just get out of it. You know, Sean Miller had a 
again, allegedly agreed to pay DeAndre Ayton $10,000 a month. But what if he's got a low-level sports agent who's willing to take over those payments for him? What's DeAndre Ayton going to do now? Leave? He's already on campus. There's nowhere for him to go. So, like, you, you – now I got him here. If you want to spend the rest of these months taking uh, – making sure the, the family's taken care of and happy – in, in an effort to get them to be with your company when they leave here, fine with me, man. It'll save me $10,000 a month. That appears to be the allegation, which, again, runs outside of, I have never discussed with Christian Dawkins paying DeAndre Ayton to attend the University of Arizona. Maybe discussed other things. And according to Christian Dawkins, it's discussed me taking over some payments to make sure um, that the family continued to be taken care of. But um, there is, and Pete Thamel wrote this last night, nobody on the planet at this point who has listened to the testimony, um, understood the evidence, and believes that Sean Miller wasn't actually doing deals um, in violation of NCAA rules. It is remarkable that he had still employed as of this day because um, it's one thing if you want to say you can't trust Christian Dawkins. He does have credibility problems, I agree. But when you, it's your own assistant coach on tape, saying Sean Miller did a deal, $10,000 a month for DeAndre Ayton. Like, there's just no way to deny. There's no reason for Book Richardson to be saying that at the time when he said it, other than because it's true and he was just talking, he thought, privately. There's just no other reason for him to say it other than it's true. And so there may not ever be an actual smoking gun paper trail that shows Sean Miller did these things. Um but the NCAA is still going to hammer them at some point because, um, again, level one rules violations undeniably happened, and they're going to have to make a um, an example out of somebody. And it looks like at this point, Arizona, even if you can't tie it directly to Sean Miller, Arizona is going to be the best place for you to make an example. You know, Sean Miller is still employed at Arizona because Arizona knows – there is not this crazy outrage from the public and the media to have to fire Sean Miller. Number one, it's the NBA playoffs, so college basketball gets to take a dip from where it usually is in March and early April in terms of the national consciousness. We're not really thinking about college basketball right now, and really, in the grand scheme of things, we don't talk about college basketball much unless it is March. Number two, most people just assume that this is going on. And this was just evidence of that. And so unless there is this national outrage over firing him, let's face it, Arizona doesn't mind because they probably know this stuff was happening anyway. Finally, big fight in boxing this weekend. Daniel Jones taking on Canelo Alvarez. Now, Canelo is the biggest draw in boxing right now. This one should be a heck of a fight. But maybe the most refreshing thing is there doesn't have to be contrived, canned drama between the fighters. Here is Brian Kenny, who's a longtime boxing analyst and play-by-play voice, who joined Gwyn and Chris on 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. Is boxing okay with this kind of fight where there isn't the trash talk and we're just focusing on these guys doing their work in the ring? Well, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the best wars I've ever seen have been guys who are not looking to fight on Friday afternoon. Right. You know, you're fighting on Saturday night. So, you know, stop with the nonsense. And I think it's just part and parcel of the, the place we are in right now as far as media and social media 
uh, where you can get a lot of attention if you do ridiculous things. Um, <laughs> and, and any physical <laughs> confrontation, even if it's contrived and ridiculous, or you curse at somebody or you say something about someone's relative, it gets all this little, you know, inflammatory attention. And then people say, oh, and it's getting buzzed. And unfortunately, even the mainstream media reacts to the, the wrong things. And I would hope they would react to this, meaning two sportsmen who are going to get after each other. Because, at, at, you know, the bottom line, it's not like, you know, in baseball or hockey or anything else, these guys are going to fight. No one has to tell them, hey, you know, there might be a fight. No, there's going to be a fight. We're going to make you fight. You're going to fight each other. So you don't have to talk about, oh, I'm going to punch you in the face. Well, I would hope you would punch him in the face about, you know, about 300 times. You're going to have every opportunity. So you don't need that nonsense. You don't need it at all. And I prefer guys who are sportsmanlike who could shake hands, and then the drama is fight night. Brian Kenny joins us. Black Boxing's play-by-play for zone and MLB Network. Uh, Brian, I followed you a lot when you were at ESPN covering a lot of boxing. Uh, you've switched over to the baseball side. Have have you is has boxing been like your first love? You, you're very knowledgeable about it. Or is baseball your first love? I know baseball is my first love. I was definitely a baseball fan my whole life, um, and then I got into boxing when I started going to the uh, Custom Auto Catskill Boxing Club mm. in 1986. Uh, Mike Tyson was there at the time training. He was 18 years old and then became the youngest heavyweight champion of all time while I was there training in that gym. So that's where I started to really love it. And I called some fights, too. Uh, Floyd Patterson, former heavyweight champion yeah, of the yeah. world, gold medalist, was in uh, New Paltz, New York, and up, also upstate. I, I went to his gym. I also covered uh, Floyd and Tracy Patterson. His son was uh, also a world champion. He's the guy that fought Arturo Gatti when Gatti won his first title. So I have all these boxing roots, but I'm you know still mainly a, a baseball okay. fan and historian. When I got to ESPN, you know, I, I found hey, you know, if you need a guy that can do some boxing, you know, hmm. I'm, I'm here. Your guy, right. And that that that's how it started, and that's I started doing it for Sports Center Friday Night Fights, launched yeah. in 1998, yeah. and I've just been doing it ever since. Count me as one of the guys that loves when a fight doesn't need to have the inauthentic, unoriginal, artificial sniping and fighting and flexing at press conferences and yelling at one another and criticizing one another's families and all types of racial epithets and low blows. Not for me. Maybe for other people, not for me. And sure, maybe that hurts the marketability of Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jones this weekend, but for me, it's refreshing. That'll do it. That's the best of your sports talk for Around the Dial for Friday, May the 3rd. We will see you on Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.